Hello everybody and thank you for joining our webinar today where we will be discussing understanding your business model and building a three-year plan which is so important to growing a business. I'm Lisa Hewitt, Regional Executive of ANZ Business Banking in North Queensland and I'm joining you today from the beautiful provincial city of Townsville. Also joining me will be my colleague Veronica Cregor, our ANZ Business Banking Regional Executive from Brisbane CBD. Before we kick off today, I just want to start with two quick housekeeping matters. Uh, firstly, um, we've got so many people joining us from right across Australia today, which is fantastic to see you all. But it's really important to me that we acknowledge the traditional custodians of whatever land you may be located on and whose country this program is taking place. We acknowledge our, our elders, our past, present and emerging. Secondly, I want you to know that today's webinar is being recorded, which is fantastic news for people like me who hate taking notes during a webinar. I just love to listen. So please immerse yourself in the discussions that are going to happen and log on to anz.com at a future date to find all of the, the links to our content and this webinar. We also encourage you to share it with colleagues, acquaintances um, and perhaps people in your team that you think could really benefit from today's discussion. We're so pleased that so many business owners want to learn more about their business model and understand and create a plan for growth. We're also really grateful today that we have two ANZ customers, CEOs of their own business, joining us to discuss their growth journey and share their insights and learnings. That's a wonderful thing for them to do for us and we really do appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this webinar, as I think this webinar is a prime example of how ANZ is living our mission and our commitment to helping small and medium companies start, run and grow a business. It's also in line with our commitment to helping individuals and communities thrive. The great thing as a banker is that we get to see lots of different businesses every day. We're very honoured to be able to do that. But what we know from that is that businesses and companies differ in terms of industry, age, number of employees, stage of growth, and even where they're orientated and what their target markets are. The list goes on. But what we also know that they share is that successful growth orientated business owners or CEOs, managing directors, whatever your title is, all have something in common. They focus on their customers, they have a passion and drive to succeed. They have tenacity and the will to persist, which we often title resilience. They have the ability to spot opportunities, learn from mistakes and grow in the face of challenges, which we often refer to as adaptability. They have the ability to select and create a culture that supports and even accelerates growth. That's one of my favourites. And finally, we know that they have a deep understanding of their business model and a well-developed plan for growth. And that's what we're going to discuss a little bit further today with Dr. Jana and our guests. I'm going to leave the introductions of our guests to Dr. Jana and instead take the opportunity to introduce Dr. Jana herself. Now bear with me because this is a really impressive resume and I want to make sure that you get all of the details of Dr. Jana's career. Dr. Jana is an international expert on entrepreneurial leadership and business growth. She's a professor and a founding director of the Australian Centre for Business Growth at the University of South Australia. She also holds the ANZ-funded chair 
in business growth at Uni of SA and directs the ANZ Business Growth Program. During her career, Dr. Janna has founded several companies of her own and worked with hundreds of CEOs and team leadership teams all over the world. She's been a global thought leader for SAP, was on the founding team of Kaufman's Foundation Centre for Entrepreneurial Leadership, and was named one of the 18 business women gurus in the world. We're not done yet. In 2018, Dr. Jana was also named the leading women in one of the leading women in Australia's innovative ecosystem. And in that same year, the Australian Financial Review named Dr. Jana one of the 100 women of influence in Australia. She's a member of the International Women's Forum. And in addition to her day job, she chairs the selection committee for the Commonwealth Government's $60 million program to boost female founders whose companies are ready to scale. Very impressive resume, and it gives me great honour to introduce to you Dr. Jenna Matthews. Hello, welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. And um, my mother would be pleased by what you just said, <laughs> but thank you so much for the intro. And I'm delighted to be here today. It's really Pleasure. been great doing the ANZ webinars, and it's been wonderful to see as many of you business owners who've signed up as you have. I know you want to better understand your business model, why you need a three-year plan, and what are the elements of a plan? A one-year operational plan, a three-year plan. When do you need to revisit the plan and how does having a plan enable you to actually grow? So our center, which was established seven and a half years ago and ANZ was a founding sponsor, was established to help CEOs and executive teams actually learn how to grow. Our business is business growth. Companies that have grown enable individuals and communities to thrive, and that's why there's a perfect alignment between our mission and its mission. The companies we recruit and accept into the center's programs are by definition small and medium. That is, they have at least five employees up to 199. We don't have programs for the micros, the startups, uh, or for the large companies, those with more than 200 employees, we stay focused on the small and medium companies because that's a large enough sector. There are actually 250,000 companies in that sector. And so far we've been delivering clinics and programs to 1,250, so we have a lot more to go. The reason why we're focused on that, and I think the reason why you've come to the webinar is because we think companies in this space are actually the leverage point for growth in Australia, and they are the job builders of this nation. We say we're a nation of small business, but I can't believe we wanna stay small. But if we want to grow and we wanna grow companies, then we've gotta do something that we haven't been doing in the past. Because uh, only, what are my stats? 25% of the companies have revenue of less than 50,000, and 67% have revenue of less than 2 million. So what we're talking about here is 7% of Australia's companies that have revenue of more than 2 million a year. And so we at the center and working with ANZ, we're determined to help you understand how to grow and how to change those statistics. And in the process, create more jobs for Australians. So we've designed these webinars to do a little bit of teaching on my part, and then to have people who've been through the program, successful CEOs come in and actually tell you what they did. In other words, get inside the mind of 
of, of inside their heads and see the world through their eyes so you can relate to what they did and how they managed to create opportunities in spite of COVID. How they managed to figure out innovation, how they measured, how they figured out how to manage their finances, how they led and managed people or innovated or built great cultures. And today we're focusing on how they figured out their business model and their growth plan and their one-year operational plan. So what's the definition of a business model and a plan? Let's get that really out of the way and very simply. Your business model is how you make money. And your plan is basically how you're going to keep making money by providing more value to more customers who are quite happy to pay for those products and services that meet their needs or their wants. We just have to make sure they're buying your products and services and not competitors. So let's go through the five basic elements of a business model and think about this as your business model. Remembering that the foundation of the bedrock of every company is your mission, values, and vision. So the first question that you have to ask, answer, you ask yourself and you have to answer for yourself when you're developing your business model or your plan is, who are we? Who are we? Who? What, what is our mission? What's our enduring purpose? And what are our values by which we do business, by which attract people to us and define and do business with others in the world? And what's our three-year vision of where I can envision the company being? three years from now, maybe for some companies that have CapEx issues, we're talking five years from now, but what is it that I can see in my mind's eye in terms of where we'll be? And I don't want you to listen closely to when our CEOs are talking about this, how important that foundation was for them. Okay, so the elements of the business model. Number one, what's the problem that you're solving? What is your solution? What's the product or service that you're offering? And what problem does it solve? So not only do you have to figure out what's the problem that somebody's having, but how critical is it to them to get it solved? And, and is this a painkiller or a vitamin? Is this something that's nice to have? Or is it absolutely essential, like they cannot live without it? Now, that, that'll have different requirements if your customers are government. So we get contracts from the government because they want to have people have jobs. And if CEOs and companies create jobs, and if we can teach CEOs what to do to create companies, there will be more jobs. Right? Maybe it's an individual that has a problem, or maybe it's a whole industry that has a problem. Healthcare, maybe need new IT systems, or a particular set of companies. So you have to figure out what is the critical issue that whoever that market is. The customers. Who are those customers? What do you know about them in terms of their demographics or their psychographics, what, why they buy or what their profiles are? Who wants the problem solved? And why would they buy this product or service at all? And why would they buy it from you? So the other part of it is, are there enough people who want it solved to actually constitute a reasonable market? Because if not, then don't go ahead figure out a different problem that has a bigger market to, that wants it to be solved. So figuring out who your potential customers are most likely to want your product or service, that target market, if you will, that's crit critical to success. 
And again, I want you to listen to our CEOs as they talk about that. Because you're going to need to market to people who are going to say, yes, I want that product. Once you figure out who they are, you send your sales troops in to actually show them the product or the service and close the sale and tell them why they should buy from you as opposed to some competitor. Okay, so that I alerted you to the issue of marketing. That's the third part on your business model. How do your prospective customers even hear about you? What's your marketing strategy? Is it website? Is it online? Is it social media? Or is it direct mail that you send things out to them? Are you selling through resellers or inside system integrators? Or are you gonna do this by being a thought leader? So then what's the sales strategy itself? Are you gonna sell directly? Are you gonna sell indirectly? Are you gonna set a point of difference with other competitors? Is it price or is it speed or is it access or is it customer service? What, what is it that are, people are buying? So which leads them to actually buy from you? A co-founder of Revlon said something that I want you to remember. In our factory, we make cosmetics. In our stores, we sell hope. To so understand what it is that your customers need and want and value be incredibly important as you're putting together your business model. Okay, so once you've figured out what's the problem we're solving, who wants it solved, what are the marketing strategies to get to them, now we look at what are the resources that you need in order to deliver on that. What are your current capabilities? What is your capacity? What's the current knowledge and skills that you have? Do you need to hire some other people with new knowledge and skills? Do you need to have new equipment, new land, new factory, new systems, new processes? What is it that you're gonna do that gives you a competitive advantage? Because if you're just doing a product like a hundred others out there, probably not gonna cut it. Then you look at your cost structure. Do you do everything in house or do you outsource a lot of things? Do you assemble things that you buy from other people or do you manufacture and do the whole value chain yourself? Do you get paid up front? Do you get paid in progress payments? Is it a recurring revenue stream? What's the working capital that you need? And how does the working capital and the cost of making products play into the price that you're charging people for the product or service? So as you can see, lots of factors will impact the cost of the product or the article that's delivered to a customer. Now you have to think about what's the revenue that you expect to get, generate this year from making and delivering the products and then how much profit. You have your revenue, subtract the costs of goods sold and then subtract the general administration. And then, then you see how much you have in terms of profit and you also have to look at working capital. Because if you actually buy the raw materials make the product, sell it to the customer and then they pay you, well, you've got to pay your bills in between the time you've sold it to them and they actually pay you. So working capital becomes an important as you're reselling to other customers and getting paid because not enough working capital has really sent a lot of companies to the wall and down. So just, just to remember, you've got four levers in your business when you're thinking about the cost structures, the revenues and so forth. You can sell more. Now that's assuming that you understand structure is because as an early mentor once said to me if you lose 25 cents on every pair of pants for you to sell 100 pairs of pants you're losing 25 cents on each one don't rev up the revenue 
because you're actually losing money. So make sure that there is a profit. Second thing you do in, in terms of assuming that you figured out how to sell it profitably is now look at your pricing. Can you actually raise the price a little bit? That will go directly to the bottom line as long as the expenses are the same. If you want to look on the reduction of cost side, then maybe you can decrease the actual costs of goods sold by negotiating a better price from your suppliers. Or maybe you introduce more IT systems, better IT, and you maybe have um, to take over some of the things that people did. Or it enables you to manufacture or produce or deliver more efficiently, and so you don't have as many rejects. Uh, can you be more cost-effective in marketing and sales? Can you close sales quicker than six months, maybe six weeks? And then finally, how do you decrease administrative costs? That's the cost of running the business. You know, do we get bills paid on time? Do we have the right number of people to go collect uh, the, the late payments? Do we have the right number of people that are actually figuring out the strategy? Can we make meetings more efficient? Uh, can we lay out the warehouse better so that pick and pack is more efficient? All those things will be part of the, the cost of doing business, if you will. So your business model, how you make money, is defined by what it is that you sell, to whom, at what price, through which channels, and what's your differentiation, how much revenue you generate versus the cost, uh, cost to actually make this stuff. And after you understand the business model, then you can develop your three-year plan and then get that down to your one-year plan, which is your operational plan. So the operational plan, which everybody who goes through the program has to do the three-year plan and the operational plan, the one-year plan is focused on the money. What do you think you're going to generate this year in terms of revenue and profitability? Then what is the customer, the market that we're going to go after? What is the product or service that we're going to sell to them to generate the money? What are the marketing strategies that we're going to use to take the product to the customers? And then what is the infrastructure that we need to support that? The people, the systems, the um, finances, and so forth. So there's a particular grid that we have people fill out. And they have to talk about, you know, what is it that we're going to do within which period of time? Who's responsible for that? What's the risk to the company if that's not done? And what are the other resources from other people uh, in the company or other financial resources that we need in order to actually do this? But it makes no sense to have this wonderful plan all on paper that people have worked hard if you just put it on the shelf and go do business as usual or take whatever comes in the door. You actually have to execute the plan. You have to pay attention to it. You, we look at ours just about every week in terms of what are the tasks that we said needed to be done. We report out to each other on a quarterly basis. You step back and you look at what's happening. Are there changes that we need to make and reallocations of people or dollars? And then, in the third quarter, you're looking at what do we need to do to finish the year strong and how do we then set ourselves up for next year. So crash course in business models, in planning, plans, why you need to develop a one-year plan and so forth. So let's talk about this with people who've actually done it successfully. I'm delighted to introduce you to two of our CEOs, Emily Bradley, who's co-CEO of Southern Design Group, which is a leading supplier of architectural hardware products. Emily, Steve, and Jason came to the program as Tradco, a company that was started by her dad, actually. The company had one brand and one line of products, but when they came through the program, they became Southern Design Group. They added Bankston. 
they've now added IC Ivor. So I'm looking forward to hearing that story and, and understanding then your business model and how you developed the plan that enabled you to grow the way you have. Drew Parker uh, from Queensland, Emily's from South Australia, Drew's from Queensland, CEO of our, our BRT, uh, AKA Redland Bay Roof Trusses, which is a manufacturing company started by his family in Morton Bay area of Queensland. Um, and he and Jackie, his sister, bought out their parents, bought the team together, started planning, executing, growing, and as far as I can tell, haven't looked back. So both of them had different business models, which is why I've invited them to come on the webinar, because both are successful. I'm not saying there is one business model, but business models have to address the elements that I talked about. So we're gonna talk about their journey their business models, and then we're gonna talk about what they've done to plan the future, and then once planned, how they're managing actually to execute on the plans. And then finally, we'll talk about what impact this has had um, on their growth and success as a company. So Emily, let's start with you. You came to the program as Stradco. You supplied door handles and knobs and hinges to home builders, and, and then you went out, as I said, as Southern Design Group, wow. So your, your market are architects, at least for some of the, one of these or all of these businesses, right? They, that are special, specifying exceptional hardware into homes that are being built. Your dad started this as a supplier company, but since you and Steve and Jason have taken over, there've been a lot of changes. So talk about the journey and why you're doing all this from Adelaide. Thank you, Jana, Veronica and Lisa for the opportunity to speak today. So just to give you, well, to elaborate, I guess, on, on what Jana's just told you all about Southern Design Group. We're an Australian-owned family wholesale business with three brands, which are sold through resellers across Australia and New Zealand. We have over 7,000 products, which include our primary product of door handles, but a range of other products from cabinetware to window fittings. Our mission is to offer the best consumer experience in the architectural hardware industry. We have significant stock holding and offer our resellers a one to three day delivery turnaround. Our products come in a large range of finishes, lock and backplate options. Our products are primarily made from brass and range from mid to high end price point. We have over 80 employees, which are spread across Australia and New Zealand, but primarily are based here in Adelaide. So uh, as, as Yana said, we started with Tradco, which was our uh, business name and our sole brand. Uh, during the course, we learned a huge amount and <laughs> decided to evolve into Southern Design Group with um, multiple brands. So uh, during the course, we released Bankston, which is our more boutique uh, designer brand, higher end brand. Uh, since then, we've released Iva. So Iva sort of sits in between the two brands, is more trend-led and um, is for a price-sensitive consumer who's seeking quality, quality designer alternative. So the history, I, um, 40 years ago, my dad uh, saw a gap in the market for quality replica um, fittings. So when someone's renovating a house, they used to have to go to an antique store to try and find the right uh, window fittings or door lever that matched the house. Uh, he saw that you know we could reproduce these so that, that they could have quality through the house but still be cherishing um, the heritage of the house. So in 2015, my partner and co-CEO bought into the business. 
It was a profitable business with 12 employees. All senior employees had worked their way up through the business. Initially as warehouse workers, every decision in the business was made through my dad. Steve and I saw great potential for growth in the business and it proved to be a good return on investment. We, we brought to the business our learning from working in big businesses in the Victorian legal and development sector. We also invited a long-term employee to join us in investing in the business. Jason's involvement has meant that we retained extensive knowledge of the product range, maintained the long-term business relationships he and my father had created, and perhaps most importantly, uh, maintain a really positive staff culture, which, which had been built over the years. So uh, why Adelaide? Some would ask. Uh, primarily our business is in Sydney, Auckland and Melbourne. So uh, we've decided to stay in Adelaide, not only because the rent is affordable <laughs> for warehousing and, and head office, uh, but also we have several staff members that have worked with us for more than 20 years and their knowledge is invaluable. So there is no, we've just signed an eight year lease here in Stepney in Adelaide. So there's no plan to move our head office anytime soon. So in 2018, we started Jana's acclaimed growth course. This saw the real difference in our business. Thank you to Byron Bruce, our ANZ relationship manager, who helped us start this journey with Jana and her team. Not only did we learn a huge amount, it also gave us the confidence and conviction to implement some really big changes in our business. Since the course, we've doubled our revenue and we have plans to double it again in the next two years. So there's been big changes in our business. Um, I will delve into the following deeper throughout the morning, but to give you an overview, the key changes to our business have been the following. So developing and implementing our one and three year plan, creating a leadership team with delegated responsibility. As I said previously, all decisions were made through my dad and now we have um, clear delegation. Creating a board structure and de-risking our corporate structure. Implementing formal budgets, a risk mitigation strategy, policies and processes. Developing our brand architecture and investing in marketing. Inputting and analyzing data via an ERP system. Shifting our sales strategy to engage architects, designers and builders while maintaining a wholesale model. And that was all <laughs> for now. <laughs> Thank you, Jana. Awesome. Am I on? Um, that's, that's just wonderful for me to hear, you know, at a distance, everything that's gone on. I can see the numbers on the growth tracker, but to actually hear you talk about it, I'm just so pleased, but you know, all credit to you because you had to implement what you learned. So I'm gonna ask, Drew was shaking his head in violent agreement on some of those points. I don't know if you <laughs> noticed, but. <laughs> so Dr. Drew, Jana, how about you tell us your story? I think it's unfair that you've got me now following Emily after after that. I don't I don't see that how that works. So um, I think I might have to be shorter so we can get this done in the hour. I'm just joking. Um, look, we, as it says below, uh, we supply uh, timber manufactured products to, we, we sell to builders, um, we sell a, a, a higher quality product and we sell hardware components too that go with that. Um, our differential really in the market is to partner with the, the builders um, in, in, in a successful build, thinking about you know good structural design solutions so they're not having to make um, sacrifices or compensations at the end of the build, which affects you know their relationship with 
with their client and um, uh, you know the, the client's overall happiness. So um, we try and not be a commodity. Um, it can be a commodity market. Um, we don't do architectural uh, door handles though, but um, something that we could do, Emily, in the future, we should get together after this. Um, our journey is, uh, we're, we're over a 30-year-old business. It was um, started by my father, like very similar to Emily, and we, we took the business from a small to medium-sized business up to about 40 employees, and um, it was still run uh, from that single sole unit. So the head shaking was um, was the same sort of understanding that uh, we had we had a really strong brand in the marketplace, and we knew that if we could, I guess, flex that muscle, we could really grow as a company. Um, we, uh, I, my father retired probably in 2010 and we brought on a manager um, that was kind of in, as a caretaking role. Um, and in that time, uh, there was some, we didn't really uh, reinvest in the business. We were in a bit of a holding pattern and that became quite dangerous. And uh, I, I guess I was maturing a, as a person through the business as well. And um, that became sort of a, a point of conflict, I think, uh, eventually. And I think there's a lot to be said with succession planning, which might be another webinar in itself. Um, and I'm sure Emily's got some things to add to that as well. Um, but eventually, uh, you might call it a mutiny or you might call it a takeover, but uh, Jackie and I um, took over the business about four years ago, um, bought my parents out and really believed in in a new direction that the business needed to take. Uh, we diversified responsibilities and created an exec team around us. Um, and um, I think more importantly, what we got out of out of the growth program was the importance of, of the foundations of understanding, you know, better our market, uh, better what we do well, um, and that kind of what our values are, how, how we want to behave in the market, how our staff want to behave, um, you know, what is it that make, what's our secret source, and and then really pushing the accelerator on that and building a framework around that. And I think, you know, that was a massive eye-opener for us and um, going to the course and it was just, yeah, it was so a lot of aha moments. And, and I think that um, putting a plan in place, um, you know, visiting it regularly, uh, it just becomes a constant development and um, a constant review and a constant development. And, and as you do that more, uh, your your sophistication of your planning and and the the vision of how far down the line you can look uh, becomes better and better and longer and longer and so it's it, it just you, the first thing you need to do is is take that first step. Great, thanks, thanks, Drew. That's exactly right in terms of a setup. That um, and you're about how big now? How many employees now? Uh, we are currently at about 65 and we're staring down the barrel of 30% of growth this financial year um, and even 7% on last quarter. So um, we kind of, uh, we went through a period of, of discovery and development in the business and um, I think all those moves were being put in place and, and uh, I think with your planning, you have a really good identification of 
of opportunity. And if you don't have that, you can't see that. And I think we we really knuckled down for sort of three or four years. And um, we we obviously have or had had some challenging market conditions. And but I think overall we were ready uh, and right time, right place. And um, we've just you know we're going very quickly at the moment. And then that's obviously got some some issues that uh, need to be you know focused on as well. Uh, in terms of working capital, in terms of cash, um, but we've just hired a um, a full-time accountant in the business uh, to basically, obviously, focus on that, but also work with Jackie and I uh, at looking at our five-year plan that we're working on at the moment and seeing how uh, we've got a lot of reinvestment in machinery and seeing how we can do that with um, our cash flow in terms of bootstrapping. So let me kind of walk through the business model and let's have each of you sort of talk about the elements of the business model just to sort of tie that back for the folks who are listening. So if the first issue is what's the problem that needs to be solved? And maybe I'll go back and forth between you. So Emily, what did you all, when you figured out the business model, what's the problem that needed to be solved? Yeah, I mean, I guess we quality hardware architect. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I I think the course gave us that opportunity to to reflect on you know what we saw the problems that we we believed we could solve in our industry were. Um, so door furniture is a quite a pain point for builders to install. It's quite complex. Um, it's a very male-dominated industry, uh, the resellers of door furniture, um, you know, being the hardware industry. However, a lot of the end consumers, we found through our research, are women, so around 70% are women that are making the decision in this male-dominated, male-marketed industry. So we wanted to, to, to look at that. Um, uh, we also saw that there was a big uh, gap between the inferior, cheaper, more commercial products, and then the very high-end, very expensive products. And we believed that we could manufacture products at high quality that didn't have to have that price point attached. So, and then I guess finally <laughs> was um, uh, the, the, the decision to um, purchase store furniture, in particular with a last minute decision for the consumer. And when we've got 7,000 uh, products that we're holding in stock, that's a big burden on our cash flow. Um, but it's, you know, that's something that we could offer the consumer, but, you know, on our end, it was quite difficult to deliver on that. So they were our problems that we, we went to address. And so we talk about, you know, the problem that needed to be solved, we got that. And then the target market, um, did you go into a new target market or I, it seemed to me that architects were not your original market that you've gone to? No, no, that's right. So with the Tradco brand, it's um, it was very much that DIY brand. Um, and so definitely it was a last minute purchase uh, for people. Um, so one of the big changes we made in our business um, from our sales strategy was to hire uh, reps who would work with architects, designers and builders to specify our products at an earlier stage, which would then give us the time to make sure that we had those products in stock. And it also um, allowed us to reduce our stock holding, which allowed us to open up our cash flow. Mm -hmm. Great. 
that sort of answers the question then how you manage all this financially because as you're transitioning to a new market and have all this stock and then you're developing new stuff and you hope it sells and it's a lot going on there uh, so good for you yes so drew let's let's go through the same set of qu uh, questions for you so the problem that needs to be solved on your end uh in terms of our business or with our um from your, from your customer's perspective yeah oh, okay so like what i said before what are you solving? Yeah. yeah so um like i kind of mentioned before there's a lot of like structural components there's a there, there can be a, a requirement for a lot of thought because once they go in um and you start covering them up and and zip rocking them and and uh and the house gets finished is that those components are there and and can't easily be adjusted and so to do that you've got to re reopen the house essentially and, and make changes and so i think um, a lot of the time our product or, or, or frame and truss or structural timber can be very much a commodity and put together quickly uh, off a plan but there hasn't been much uh, forethought until it gets to site um, so like from the builder's perspective it, it, it's the view is is that it's just like a door handle or something like that we'll get it delivered to site and then we'll sort it out like further but um, so when we get into designer homes um, there is a lot that there's a higher customer expectation um, and there is a requirement really to, to really go down the line in terms of working back from the end product and making sure that uh, that we can fit all that structural in the right place and so when it gets finished on top of that um, it's in the right spot the builders happy there's no modifications required there's no delays on site uh, and then the end user is happy with that and so there is um, even though it's a structural component there's a, there's a certain design element which we take on board and that then leads us to then target the more custom home market or the architectural um, market essentially so we don't really go into uh, the, the project home area um, which is more your uh, commodity and, and price driven market mm. right so have has that been a shift since you first came into the program so basically i think the biggest thing for us and 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 as you know was again identifying us getting to know who we really were or are and and then sort of really pushing that pedal down and i think um just due to our organic culture and our organic values and the, and the good long-term staff we had in the business we'd created this um style or we created our own um, brand and that attracted these particular customers okay because we couldn't compete with the the project builders and so our our, our customers tended to be these uh these pro uh, these custom home builders and so i think the biggest thing for us was really figuring that out and going okay this these are our ideal customers let's go mm -hmm. find these types of customers let's stop you know getting because we have we've got sales reps too and so it was about giving them a direction and um you know pointing and shooting so to speak so um the, sh the shift was really knowing who we were better and then turning that into a plan and then going and following that plan so um we did then also decide to 
um, with the knowledge that we had a, a, a stronger experience uh, construction IP in our business is we then diversified into um, more of the commercial market too, maybe only about 10 to 20 percent, but it was also to, to go after more complex jobs which uh, tended to have a, a, a high margin in them. And so bringing in a little bit more cream into our business, uh, but but by using, again, you know, our, our differential, so to speak. Yep. So that's, I think that's really helpful for people to hear how, you know, it's a process and you get smarter when you ask the right question. And sometimes, it's you have to take time and look at who are the customers what's the profile what's the demographic what do they need and want and value do we like working with them oh yeah we do okay well let's go find more like them as opposed to across the board any customer that moves is is a valid customer yeah. so you've sort of gotten into the planning process that you followed um i'm conscious of time we've got about uh probably 15 minutes for us to be talking and I want to talk, have you be able to talk a little bit about through the process of planning, how you manage that on a yearly basis, and then um, a little bit about the formulation and how, how you measure. And then I, I actually want to then talk about your, some of your biggest lessons learned that you could share with them as well. So, so talk quickly through the process that you use, not only to develop your plan, but actually make sure that you are on plan. So the mechanics of it, share that with people, and then we'll talk about biggest lessons learned. Emily, you want to start on that one? Okay, so um, yeah, we've carried through the having a one and three year plan um, and integrated into our day-to-day -day processes. Uh, so initially we brought a plan to our leadership team. This is what we want to do. This is how much we want to make and this is how we think. So Jason, Steve and I think we can go about it. That's evolved into uh, then our leadership team developing that over a strategy day to now the whole of business um, developing that in various ways. So um, how we do that, we meet uh, twice a year for strategy days with you know bonding sessions afterwards, which are always fun. Um, so we have an annual planning day and a mid-year planning day. Uh, the annual planning day, the lead up to that, uh, I provide a template document to all the department heads who then meet for a day with their own team to strategize on all the different points. So um, what do you see the strategies to us getting to these goals are, what are the resources um, and so forth. Um, then on the day we, we come back and we amalgamate all these um, ideas and uh, potential risks and uh, you know what kind of resources we'll need. Uh, and after that's been set in stone, uh, approved by our board, we then set budgets um, accordingly. Uh, then as a follow through for that, we have quarterly board reports, which uh, each of the department heads report against each of the strategies that they're responsible for in the plan. And we have fortnightly uh, management meetings where we talk about how the implementation is, is going and if any new risks or opportunities have arisen. So that, yeah, that keeps us on track. So Drew, that sounds pretty textbook, doesn't it? Sure does. I see you're nodding your head. So, so are you following the same pattern? Very similar. Uh, essentially, we've we've got a three-year plan uh, that we worked on in the growth program with our exec team, and we've been using that as our our guidepost for our one-year plan. Um, just quietly, we're two years ahead of that right now, <laughs> Dr. Jana. Um, 
So we usually get together towards the end of May uh, and start workshopping um, a bit of a one-pager uh, for the following year. Um, we take that to the, the all the exec team, then take that to their teams and present that. They do um, a SWOT analysis and they really come back with a, a kind of a one-pager of their team. Uh, and we go back and forth a, a couple of times until we pull that all together. And then we present like a, a reduced version to the whole business. Um, I think uh, communication uh, on your planning is important. Like you mentioned earlier, a lot of people make a plan, put it on the shelf and never see it again for, for 12 months. So uh, amplification is a word I'm using this year. Uh, at the moment, we're working on our boardroom being our war room where we've got a lot of our uh, values and our strategies and our mission. And we've also got a reduced version of the team plans on the wall. So anyone at any time can have a read. Um, in the past, we've we've done a, a, that process um, like at, at the end of the year again, because we've we've found that the market was moving so quickly and we needed to adapt. We're not having to do that this financial year, thank God. Um, but uh, just like Emily, we, we, you know, we have weekly meetings, uh, we have a monthly measurements meeting, we have a quarterly uh, review meeting too. Um, and, uh, you know, communication and revisiting the plan is, is so important. Otherwise, the planning was a giant waste of time. Mm. And it's so easy to not like to, to not be focusing on the plan. It's that easy. It's very easy to be operational, you know. It's very easy. So it needs discipline. Oh, absolutely. And the other part of the discipline is, and I want each of you to tell me what you do with those incredible, wonderful, exciting new ideas that come in were not on the plan. So how do you handle those? So, Drew, how do you handle those? Oh damn! I thought you were gonna go with Emily first. Um, <laughs> you know, they're always they're always in our head, um, but I think having a long range plan, um, your exec team gets a sense of where we're going, and um, you know, then when opportunities come past, you're able to see them and you're able to discuss them, and and I think. So people don't like surprises, um, especially your exec team. If 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 something's a surprise, they some somehow feel like they're being ambushed and they haven't been involved in something. So, and we'll get to people management in a second. But uh, I think it, you know, with Jackie and I, we're we're constantly talking about the vision and where we're heading. It's in reflection to the to the three year plan, but it, that we're also talking about opportunities and how we can adapt. Mm -hmm. At uh, discipline of what you do with those opportunities, we're we're actually writing an article on that right now for the Northern Territory, and see if we can come up with a sort of a, like you talk about a risk register, an opportunity register that at least you capture those ideas. You just may not be able to capitalize on them now, but in an organized process, is that on a quarterly meeting or half year meetings? Emily, how do you do that? Yeah, um, definitely. You don't want to lose all those ideas because they could be the next big thing for the business. At the same time, you don't want to try and uh, uh, implement all those ideas. And I think that's the benefit of a plan when you see all those ideas 
mapped out and you talk at length about what it's going to take to implement those ideas, you then can sit back and say, well, actually, which one's going to be the best return on investment? Which one's going to actually achieve the best growth for our business? Um, and I think that's the benefit of being a small to medium business is that you can pivot quite quickly, unlike a bigger business where you've got a lot of sign off. Um, you, we, we, we have changed our mind on a few things. Um, and I guess the, the key for that is bringing our management team, bringing our staff on board with that and making them part of that process of change. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's for me, the best thing about planning is that you can actually see on paper, well, we're actually trying to do too much. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's been a big benefit for us. We've just, just gone through the process recently and scrapped a few ideas, which, you know, breaks my heart a little bit because all the ideas are great ideas, but, uh, we don't have the resources to achieve them to their best ability. So, yeah. And that takes such discipline to be able to do that. I mean, congratulations to both of you that you are, again, trying to capture them and look at them in, a, in some kind of a fashion. It's part of the planning process is introducing those new ideas, but we can't do them right now, or maybe we can't do them ever. Just we don't have the resources, we don't have the time, we don't have the money. There's a competitor who's just come in. Oh, sometimes you'll know more than other people about what's going on in the world around you. So, okay, let's let's move to the lessons learned and pieces of advice that you would have to others who are listening in. Whoever wants to go first. I can, I can go first if you like to. Um, so I guess uh, the biggest lessons with regards to planning that we've learned, I mean, we've learned a lot of lessons about all, all realms of the business through this process, but uh, with regards to planning, I guess it's just booking the time to do it. Uh, like you said before, Drew, it's really easy to get back into operational mode and just keep putting it off. And in all honesty, Jana, after the course, we did do that for a little while and then, you know, got back into gear and, and we have been back into gear for the last couple of years and it's um, been very much to our benefit. So it's just setting aside that time, booking in the time, um, integrating it into those day-to-day -day processes so that everyone is accountable and it's not just a document sitting there collecting dust. Um, so I think, yeah, having the, the quarterly reports, having the, the regular meetings booked in is really important for that. And um, engaging all the stakeholders and, and holding them accountable. Um, I think people take those uh, strategic actions a lot more seriously when they've got success metrics that they need to meet attached to them. Um, so yeah, that's been my big three big learnings, I guess. Okay. I counted two. Um, I must have oh, missed one. I guess sorry, all the planning uh, just flowed. Taking the time to do it, integrating it into your day-to-day -day processes and engaging stakeholders along got the way. It. Holding And those are really important lessons because the urgent seems to drive out the important and, and then, then there's the critical and urgent and that drives everything. And you've got to be disciplined. That's part of the role of leader is to make sure your number one job is to make sure that the company has the right direction and that's mission values and vision and the plan. And then number two job is communicating that. So Drew, what, what would your biggest lessons learned from this? I think, experience I think and, and business model. I think it's a it's a constant review and development. Like not only the the business is, is but this this planning, this development of your own business. It's like, and I know it's very easy for 
us to sit on this side. Um, but we've come from exactly the same place as a lot of people uh, are starting from. You know, we were fully operational. We didn't know what planning was, uh, what's a value, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got to just begin. Um, and then at, over time, with that discipline, your own uh, process of planning and executing improves. Um, and so does your sophistication of, of, of that process. And I think that that rolling stone then just keeps strengthening your business over time. Um, that was, that's, so that's number one. Um, and and look, know your market, know who you are, know where you're going and know how you're doing and just keep reviewing that over, uh, as frequently as possible. And you'll find um, with your exec team, and as you move or grow, um, their vocabulary will change and all of a sudden you'll be midway in a meeting and you'll be questioning, is anyone actually doing anything operational anymore? Because we're just constantly talking about uh, growth and development. So um, number two, uh, transparency, transparency and amplification and communication. So if you've got a plan, make sure everybody knows about it, otherwise it's not worth anything. Uh, and the final one is is getting your foundations right before you um, start all this, because um, that's the key. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the mission, why you're in business, your why, what are the values that define how we do business, and what is our vision, where do we want to go? Because if we don't want what, know where we want to go, any road can take us there. Oh my goodness, how can it be that this time has gone so quickly? and so rich a conversation. Thank you. Thank you, you've really provided amazing insights to everybody who's listening. And and Veronica, over to you to close out the webinar, I guess. Thanks so much, Dr. Dalla. Can everyone hear me okay? I'm assuming so. Oh, I'm What a morning!
I am going to try and very quickly summarize my key takeouts. Um, I got it down to six. Uh, there's a ton more. Look, the first one was taking the time to strategize. I've just talked about that. The second one was really understanding the business model. So uh, Drew and Emily both gave you examples about where they came from and where they're going to. Very different businesses now than what they were. They were great businesses to start with, but had to create some discipline and um, different roles um, but that business model understanding helped them do. So from a from a business model um, perspective that you know the takeouts as you would have heard were the elements to understand who what the problem is solving, you know, what do your customers want? Who are your customers? Is it a painkiller or, or a vitamin as, as Dr. Janice said, which I loved. Um, uh, what do, what um, is the size of that market? So what is the market that you're looking to solve or the problem you're looking to solve? Is that enough market for you to actually have a winning, successful business um, moving forward? I'm not sure if anyone else has got um, feedback, but if you've got to put their um, comments on it would be good because I'm getting feedback. I hope everyone can hear me okay. Uh, in terms of marketing, um, the other part of the business model, so how will customers hear about you? Uh, is it going to be online? Is it through... Um, mail out what what is, does that look like um i love where dr Dano talked about um the comment from the revlon co-founder uh, a number of years ago and that in our factory we make cosmetics in our stores we sell hope uh, that was brilliant you know how they put that together so what is your marketing strategy and how are you going to connect with your customers what resources so the next part of the element of the business model was what resources have available to you and what do you need to execute on that strategy um, and, and what do you need to make sure that you are illustrating that competitive advantage that you've got out in the marketplace. Number five, the cost structure. So, you know, are you um, running a lot of your business in-house? Do you outsource things? How does that cost structure look? Uh, and number six was the revenue and the expense side of things. So how do you make profit? What working capital do you need? And that's probably as a banker, for over 30 years, that's the biggest uh, issue that we see uh, customers experience in that growth phase, not, not being clear enough about the working capital that they need to achieve their goals. So um, very, very big focus on that area, I would suggest. Um, Dr. Joe also talked about the four levers in the business to manage your, your cost and revenue. Sell more, make more profit. How do you do that? You know, you don't want to be selling more if you're actually losing money. So you really need to understand your business model to start with. Um, price, can you raise it? There are plenty of products out there where people have consistently increased prices because the product is in demand. So that might be uh, an avenue for yourself. Uh, decreased costs, so cost of goods sold, supplies, efficiencies. So I'm just about to go dark here, so don't mind me waving my hands around to make our price efficient places work. Um, so decreasing costs, and um, do you need to look at your admin costs? So, uh, operational plan, you know, needing to understand what your revenue and profits were, customer markets. The list goes on. I could talk this on this. I get quite passionate about it. Um, I guess on behalf, I think there's a lot in there. Go back and have a look at the video. I'd like to love to thank Dr. Banner, Emily Bradley, Andrew Parker for their time and sharing their insights today, how they developed, sharing how they developed their quite different business models, their three year strategic plans, their one year operational plan how that process has enabled them to grow so quickly. Um, we are so pleased to see that we've been able to help you your company through um, a pandemic, that your companies have continued to grow. I have had the pleasure of knowing Drew and his family uh, 
family's business for some time now and it's been absolutely amazing and awesome and a privilege to watch that grow. So I'm sure that uh, Emily's uh, bankers would say the same about her. It's just wonderful to be involved. Thank you for sharing what you've learned with all the company owners who have attended the webinar today. You've given us much food for thought. Now, for more information about how to manage growth, you can visit uh, the website www.anz.com.au forward slash business growth, where there are heaps of tools and resources available, which ANZ has a license from the Australian Centre for Business Growth, uh, including interviews with other CEOs who have been through the business growth program as well. Our next business growth, uh, growth webinar is on the 17th of November. Dr. Jana will be interviewing two different CEOs who have been through the ANZ Business Growth Program about emerging from lockdown. So a very relevant topic. What do business owners need to do to position their companies for growth? Thank you very much for listening and tuning in. We look forward to seeing you next.